Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Luz, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, and I want to welcome you to Together We Win, the MRA podcast. So let's get going. Well, ho, 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 it is the holiday edition of Together We Win. I mean, you know, Steve, did you see what was over your head? If it's a mistletoe, then I'm going to leave. But uh, what is above oh, my no, head? Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. We can't do that. Oh, of course, you would, you would be fine if it was mistletoe over your head. Well, of course, except that I'm sitting so close to you that I, you know, that the, well, we always... would be bringing together we win to a whole new other level. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. It is, uh, you know, we started the, uh, well, first of all, welcome to my cohorts in crime, Kerry Miller, Steve Clark, and again, ho, ho, ho. Uh, the, 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 holiday the holiday season starts early, started very early this year. Um, we, we not only had, well, we actually had a, a late Thanksgiving, but we had an early Hanukkah, uh, that started on the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. And so really jump started the whole holiday season, no matter what you, what you, uh, celebrate. And we, we celebrate them all because, you know, we want to get as many holidays as possible at the MRA. Uh, we, we, we celebrate them all, no matter what you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, uh, any holiday, it's just a great time of the year, and it's it's all about family and friends. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an opportunity for us to reflect back on the incredible stuff that happened over the course of the last year, right? Good, bad, and indifferent, but uh, time to reflect for sure. The last year has really been a, a really long five years. It's, it's uh, really been amazing <laughs> how uh, the last year has gone. Uh, what a roller coaster it's been. Uh, we're back. We're back. We're back. Things keep happening. We're recovering. We're reversing. It's just really been, uh, it's been quite a decade. Yeah, no question about it. So it's, it's not a, it's not a, <laughs> the last year hasn't been five years. It's now up to 10 it's years. It's up to 10. Just that's in, what I would say. In the last 30 seconds. Now that's, that is, uh, that is a great way to capture it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I mean, look, every year we come into the holidays, I always have to, uh, Get ready for the boy, Bob. You look like Burl Ives uh, comments. Uh, you know, um, everybody wants to talk about the snowman from uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and uh, you know they believe that somehow uh, I, I have a, uh, a caricature that looks like uh, Burl Ives from that movie. I but. think that's shocking that anybody would make that <laughs> resemblance. It's just crazy. What are they thinking? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I just, uh, I get ready for it every year. I have fun with it every year. And, uh, I also do my best to avoid the, uh, Santa suit at, at all holiday parties. Although I have played the part several times before, several times before. That is not typecasting at all. No, no, it's shocking. Actually shocking. Um, but I do have fun, uh, at the holidays. It is uh, my favorite time of the year. It's funny, you know, uh, my family's always said, ah, should we go away for Christmas and New Year's? And to me, that's just not an option. I, you know, I want to be around family and friends. That's, you know, to me, it's, that's a stay at home holiday. I mean, I'll go away for Thanksgiving, July 4th or, you know, anything else. But, um, you know, that, that those days from December 25th to January 2nd, I want to be around and uh, enjoying everybody. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but. I, yeah. Doug, yeah. Steve, go, man. No, I just talk about, yeah, I love being home, but just the, the run-up to the holiday season. We talk about it's a late Thanksgiving. It's It feels like an early Christmas, even though it's the same day every year. Uh, but all of a sudden, you look at the calendar, it's like, wow, we have we have a lot to accomplish before uh, before Christmas comes along in, in, in both, uh, you know, the, the work life and the private life and the personal life, everything that happens. It just seems that the three weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, we're cramming a lot in. But it's all good. I think I think the revolts that have happened at the Miller House is any time that we decided that we were thinking about going away for the holidays, or I remember the worst one was we were going to get an artificial tree. I mean, that didn't fly, oh, fly no, no, for no, anything. No. The artificial tree does not work. No, no, no. It's got to be real. Yep. Unless you're a person that chooses to have a, a, a fake tree, then then you're, you're, you're okay. I, you know, we, we are a Together We Win podcast, and we don't want to get on so polarizing tree position. I can come out against the artificial tree, Steve. That's that's that's, fair. A, that's a political stance I can make, and that really doesn't get me in trouble. Okay. Uh, we got a call on uh, line two from the artificial tree company. <laughs> <laughs> Already dialing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the the uh, Christmas Eve, um, the Vincent side of my family, fifty five, come to our house. Um, 
and just all bedlam breaks out. Uh, it used to be uh, in the early days, it was terrific, and the kids just uh, ran around and opened up presents. Now all the kids are adults. The beverage bill at my house on Christmas Eve uh, rivals many small countries. <laughs> it really does. It's uh, it's it's really gotten out of control, but it is a terrific time. It's We all look forward to it. And we're actually moving it from Massachusetts this year up to a house in Maine uh, for the first time. It's going to be coastal, so uh, it should be interesting. A great place to have Christmas for sure. Yeah. Yep. I hope none of those losses get stopped at the border. Well, you know, it could happen. And then we dropped down to Dave Luz's house on uh, Christmas Former Day. guest of the podcast. Former guest of the podcast and uh, highly rated uh, episode and uh, talked about during Thanksgiving at the Luz household. Uh, it was must must listen uh, podcast uh, viewing, if you will. Yeah, I think that he was so good that we should bring him back again. He's still talking about getting getting jammed up. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to this special awesome. episode. Kerry, who do you have today? Oh, today I've got Derek Canton, who is the uh, founder and CEO of PayPay, which is a contactless paying uh, service platform. And honest, he came out of Worcester. He's a brilliant kid, Worcester State. Uh, and he hit pre-pandemic, so he's way ahead of it. Now that the pandemic's hit, he's... Uh, He's on fire with what's going on, so I can't wait to get him on and talk about how that's all working in the pandemic right now. Steve Clark. I have a first in the Together We Win podcast. We have our first repeat guest, well, besides David Luz, who we've, we've attempted to have well, on Well, no, he was times. not a true repeated guest. Correct, correct. We did hang up on him twice, but he, was, uh, he only appeared once. But we're going to have Frank McLaughlin, a partner at the Antares Group. It's the end of the year. We're talking about holidays. We also have to talk about tax preparations and, and get it, getting everything prepared and, and getting those numbers lined up. And there's a whole number of things that have happened uh, in, the, in the restaurant accounting world. So we need to get that info out to our listeners. Steve, when was the last time we was in? Was that like a year ago or two years ago? Was if, it? Well, as I talked about, that it's, only, it's been five years. So yeah. even if someone appeared around tax time, yeah, they would right. essentially would have been here uh, five years this ago. This was an argument because the last in the year office this week. So. Um, hey, listen, uh, my first guest today uh, is Scott Kernan, and uh, he is uh, a well-known, well-known uh, face and and name in our uh, in our food and beverage uh, industry here in Massachusetts. He is, of course, the uh, food and entertainment editor at the Boston Magazine, uh, one of my favorite magazines of all time. It really is. And uh, he's a veteran Boston-based writer. He's an editor focusing on lifestyle, food, travel, and arts and entertainment. Um, he's also lifestyle editor at uh, Boston Spirit Magazine, which is the bi-monthly publication for New England's L LGBTQ community. Uh, and he's done so much more. We'll talk a little bit about that. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Scott Kernan to the show today. Scott, good morning, and thank you for being here. All right, Scott. So again, uh, you know, first things first, I want to thank you for all your support, your coverage, and, and your caring uh, during the, the past, she's uh, almost two years now uh, that we've been going through what we've been going through as an industry uh, you've been so supportive. So thank you very much for everything you've done. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And it, it's crazy to think that it's been as long as it has been. But, you know, my hat's off to, to you and to everyone that works in this industry for navigating through, you know, the choppiest waters I think anybody ever could have or, or probably couldn't have ever anticipated coming down the road. You got that right. Remember, it was only going to be a shutdown of three weeks, right? I know. Oh, I know. Uh, we we long for those days. All right, so 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 listen. You know, before we kind of get into your your experience and and certainly what you're doing now, a little background. So I, I know you went to Boston College. I think you're born and raised locally. Is that correct? I am Menden, Massachusetts. Menden, small Massachusetts. Town. Yep. Four ninety five belt. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. There's a drive-in. There's a zoo. There is a uh, Aerosmith played their first concert at my high school. Fast fact. A little trivia for you there. Uh, but other than that, there's not a, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of of attractions there. But it's a beautiful, beautiful place and fun to grow up there. It was. Uh, it, it it is. Uh, it is very special. And I will share. Uh, on the Aerosmith, I did crawl through a window when I was 14 years old to get into the Monticello in Framingham to see Aerosmith <laughs> play. And probably was right after that Menden concert. So, um, <laughs> And so then you, you go to the hometown institution, Boston College, yep. uh, and majored in what? Because I know it wasn't in food and, uh, food and entertainment. What was, what was your major? 
It was not. So it was uh, communications. I double majored in communications and sociology. Sociology was, to be honest, um, something that I really kind of like loved uh, on a personal level. Yeah. Communications was this was the uh, well, I can apply this in a lot of ways coming out of school. Yeah. No, and so uh, I and, and so obviously you've you've certainly you've mastered the communications part and you married it with <laughs> uh, food and entertainment and lifestyle. And so how did you kind of you know, maneuver the waters and end up in, in the industry that you've served so well for so long. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, I'll give you the short version. Shortest version is, you know, after school, I, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I tried a couple little uh, gigs, learned what I didn't want to do, which was a, a kind of a corporate job. Uh, I wanted to be able to use my imagination. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to to always be learning. I really liked school. So I liked being in environments where I was always learning about different things. And when you put all that together, along with the, the fact that I had a knack for, for writing, I said, well, I guess, you know, writing, reporting, journalism in some capacity is, is going to be where I should go. So I saved up some money uh, for the job that I was working. I quit and started freelancing uh, full time as a writer. This would have been like 2007 um, and was just kind of, you know, hustling, working for any, anybody that would have me. So I was doing local community newspapers, you know, in the south end of Boston, going to the town, the local neighborhood meetings to find out about what wrought iron fence they were going to be installing and whether or not that, you know, kept up with the, uh, the historic nature of the neighborhood and all that kind of business. And then I'd bounce from that to, you know, interviewing uh, a musician on the phone for a music story. You know, I got to talk to people like Lady Gaga. She was like getting big back in the day and things like that. So it was all over the place. Um, and then over time, you know, I ended up getting a, a full-time in-house job at the Boston Phoenix newspaper, uh, which also published Stuff Magazine. It was a uh, kind of bi-weekly glossy magazine that covered lifestyle in Boston, where to go, what to eat, where to party, what to wear when you're there, all that business. Um, and that I ended up as the editor at Stuff before I left to go back on my own. Uh, then at that point, you know, what it meant to go out and, and do things in Boston became increasingly all about where to go eat and drink. Restaurants uh, became just the nexus. They always have been the places where we gather, of course. But I think over the years, um, as other industries have waned, uh, the restaurant industry has continued to be just the, the focal point of what it means to have an urban life. So uh, I ended up being the editor for Zagat in Boston, or as I called it before I worked for them, Zagat. Uh, and <laughs> that's how every everybody pronounces everyone. them, Scott. You know that. Everyone. I would always say uh, Zagat. Uh, Zagat. Zagat in the hat. I would do a little Dr. Seuss ride to remind myself the proper way to say it. Um, you know, I was actually talking to anyone there. Um, and then usually when I would talk to people out in the street, I'd just say Zagat because no one else would know what I was talking about. <laughs> anyway, so um, I ended up the Boston editor for Zagat, Zagat. Um, and then was the food editor at the Boston Herald actually concurrently with that because they were both kind of like contract gigs that as long as I got my work done, nobody cared what else I was doing. Um, and then flash forward a few more years in Boston Magazine, and, and here we are now. So sorry, that was uh, no, no, that that's was great. You, I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, look, you, you figured you went from uh, wrought iron fences to cast iron skillets and coverage. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's it's perfect, and uh, uh, I love that. So uh, I got to ask though, along the way. Did you ever yeah. stop and work in a restaurant? Was that ever how you made money to get from point A to point B at any point? Or, or no, I'm, no. I mean, aside from you know, aside from uh, summers between um, uh, college semesters, you know, yeah. there was a restaurant in the center of town called Rebecca's Place, and you know, I worked there in the kitchen, you know, doing some prep work, uh, washing right. dishes. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm talking like two summers, you know yeah. what I mean? So I, I always kind of would feel like a poser if I try to pretend I worked in the restaurant industry. Um, but yeah, that was the extent of it. Pouring some yeah. coffee every but, now and then. But one in three jobs in Massachusetts, first jobs in Massachusetts in a restaurant, 50% of every adults, of all adults in Massachusetts at some time work in a restaurant. How about that? Those oh, are those are legitimate it. stats. So, um, all right, so I, I got, uh, before, and again, uh, before we jump forward a little bit, Zagat, I, I gotta say, um, <laughs> in all honesty, that for 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 the longest time, when those lists came out, I mean, that was everybody waited for the guides to drop, and yeah. uh, that was like so relevant and so hot, and uh, that must have been an exciting jump for you, and, and you must have uh, really seen and and had a great time at that point, no? 
It was, you know, it was, I mean, first of all, just being able to work for a, a kind of legacy brand yeah. like that um, is really, really, is really special. I mean, you know, you don't have a lot of opportunities like that. So I did love it. Um, and it's funny, there were sort of two different arms of, of the Zagat, Zagat work online. So they'd have, they'd have these lists and those were always kind of, uh, or I should say the, um, the ratings. So ratings, all the quotes yes. that people would put, would put together. Uh, and those were really fun to write. It was kind of like a word puzzle. Like you would mm -hmm. take these quotes that people would submit and have to create sentences out of them. And it was, it was, for a nerd like me, really fun. Um, and then you would also have this separate lane of, you know, the 10 best burgers in Boston yep. and, you know, the hottest restaurants right now who have first look inside a new restaurant. Um, and that kind of helped to scratch that reporting side of my brain that like just being out there and finding out what was new and cool. It was, uh, you know, I, I, I literally... I would get that and read it front to back uh, every every time, yeah. and um, yeah. you know it, it is just uh, it's it's been uh, inspirational to me and so many other people I think yeah. uh, along the way. Okay, so um, you know you find yourself to uh, I think just you know, and, uh, geez, I remember the I'm a little bit older <laughs> than you. The first time I read Boston Magazine, I was like, I love this. And yeah. uh, really, uh, you know, uh, to me, it was a publication that uh, we subscribed to forever. And, and uh, it came, you know, every time it came out monthly, I read it front to back, loved it, loved it, loved it. And, uh, and certainly they, they've become an iconic part of the local uh, culture, I would call it. And, and sure. so uh, tell me a little bit about your time there. And, and, and then specifically, I want to talk a little bit as, as someone that's, you know, on the media side, looking at our industry, where you think we are now and where we're going. So, but first, tell me a little bit about your time at Boston Magazine, what you love and, and what the challenges are over there. Oh, sure. So in terms of what I love, I mean, obviously, I, I just love being part of a team that, by my mind, is, is something like the yearbook committee of a city. You know, like every time you come out with a magazine, an issue, you are capturing uh, a moment in time for a city and, and who are the people and who are the players and what are the things that we're talking about at that moment. Um, and to be able to kind of record that and have the sort of annals of a city's history uh, be something that you're kind of always actively working on every month, I think is, is really cool and special. Uh, in terms of you know, the challenges, I mean, gosh, there's, there's the challenges that are just endemic to the media world mm -hmm. right now, which is to say that, Know, over the course of the last 20 years, uh, if not more, uh, you know, the migration online and, and all the, pre uh, yeah. the uh, uh, challenges that's presented just in terms of the sustainability of the industry, you know, um, well, I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate that, you know, Boston Magazine has weathered those storms as well as we have, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't help but be aware of that. I, I think when I used to go to the tea station uh, and see boxes and boxes of, of magazines out there. And, you know, now everyone's just sort of looking at their phone and expecting that they're going to get their information for free. Right. And you get what you pay for. You know what I mean? Uh, that's true in restaurants. It's true in media. If you don't pay anything for the media that you're taking, you might want to be thinking about what the quality of that, that's <laughs> of right. that media is. Um, so there's that. Uh, in terms of the but you, but, to, up, but yeah. to your point, I'm going to Boston Magazine, I think, has done a terrific job in transforming to the digital world, and 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 yeah. it is and it continues to have relevance at a time like you said when so many others have just not been able to 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 make that leap. And I think that's a credit to you and the rest of the team that are there because that is not easy in today's world. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and it's not easy, and we'll have to keep finding new ways to, mm -hmm. to evolve. I, I, right before you called, I went and I grabbed coffee and the guy who poured my coffee were joking about him just joining TikTok for the for the cafe. And I'm like, oh shoot, I gotta get on TikTok, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> What's the new thing that I'll have to learn next month uh, to try to keep myself relevant? Um, yeah, there's, there's always evol evolution afoot. Yeah, no question about it. All right, so then the, my second question, uh, which, mm. which is the big one. So, uh, as a prominent member of of the uh, media um, that covers our industry, uh, you know, what do you see as the current state? What what are you seeing as the trends, and and uh, what do you think is coming upon us as we as we go into say good riddance to 2021 and and hello 2022. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of what uh, the first of all, let me say my prognostication is probably not going to be better than anybody else's mm-hmm. because I mean, we're all trying to figure out where this this crazy new world is going. Um, what I am noticing is that from a reader perspective, I think folks are more interested than ever in learning a little bit more about uh, the people, the values, and the kind of philosophies that different restaurants represent before they go and they spend their money there. Um, that's something that I'm noticing a lot more. People being a lot more cognizant of those kinds of issues because they are, at least right now, maybe going out a little bit less. Everyone has felt the kind of uh, frailty and precariousness of, of the economics around us. And they're, they're being really a lot more thoughtful about where they put their money. And that means also applying it to values that align with their own. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm noticing. I'm, I'm also seeing that there is uh, maybe a little bit of a, um, a schism between those that like can't wait for the roaring 20s a kind of right. decade to, to come back. Um, and then some folks who, you know, might be happy doing meal kits at home for the rest of their lives. Right. If that, <laughs> no, no. Look, it's moved, it's moved from our dining rooms to your dining room. And, and, right. and uh, a good deal of our, of our business is that way. And, and that is a true change that we have to manage and, and make sure that we improve so that we keep that business at least as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we have to try to find the silver linings that have come out with come out of this. And one of them is that there's been a tremendous amount of innovation. There's been people exploring ideas and trying to figure out ways uh, to expand their business in directions that they might never have considered if they had been put in the awful, awful situation that they were in to have to figure those things out. So I'm sure we'll continue to see that happen. The other thing that I think I'm noticing, and you would be, much better equipped than I am to tell me if, if this is really happening or not. But I feel like I'm seeing a movement in restaurants towards something that I would kind of call like the Etsyification of dining. Um, like people who are starting small niche operations where they might only have to employ a very few number of people, but they can do something very specific very well. And as long as they have enough of an audience um, enough of a customer base for that. You know what? They can live a good life. Maybe they can pay themselves something reasonable. They can work hours. That makes sense. Um, I, I'm starting to see a lot of more folks kind of explore operations like that, as opposed to jumping into larger restaurants that depend on volume and maybe put them in um, sort of human resource capacity situations that they're not very happy with. Does that make any sense? No, I think, I, I, think, I think you're spot on and I think you're absolutely correct. And look, yeah. um, you know, we, we knew this shortage of labor was coming. Everybody thinks that it's the pandemic. I mean, you blame everything on the pandemic today, but, um, <laughs> but it, it, this was coming pandemic or none. And now of course it, 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 it exasperated itself when we had to furlough 255,000 people, uh, on right. March 17th last year, or, or 2020, rather. Um, but um, it was coming anyway, and, and it was really because there's so many baby boomers leaving the workforce uh, yeah. and, and numbers like you've never seen before, we've never seen before exiting the workforce. And the reality is the supply chain in the generations below baby boomers is, is just a lot lower. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the average. I mean, the average, I think, was 2.1 kids. My kids are... 30 and 32 now. Um, and you know, they, uh, you know, that's typical versus my, my parents had four, my wife's parents had nine, uh, yep. you know, four yep. was a low number back then. So, yeah. uh, so we were going to have this shortage of help anyway. And to your point, people are innovating. They're figuring out how do I stay in the restaurant business, do it with less human assets and yeah. and do what I love still. And I think you're spot on. I think that's what we're going to see. Smaller yeah. operations that I can control. No question about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people also, uh, just to kind of dovetail off of what you just said, I think people are also revisiting that, revisiting that question of what is it that I love? Yes. It's not necessarily running a restaurant. It's connecting with people, maybe. It's serving folks in some capacity. It's, it's applying a craft that I have. That might be the thing yeah. that they love. And, and a restaurant is a vehicle in which to do that. 
But maybe in the past, there's been a whole lot of other noise around that that has taken away from that. And so now that we've kind of like collectively gone through this midlife crisis together, uh, (laughs) whether we like it or not, it's a chance to transform. Yeah. No. And I, and again, I go back, I agree with you on the uh, other aspect. I mean, it's not just about serving great food and adult beverages. Now it's about how do you do it and what do you stand for? I agree with you hundred percent that that matters now. It's important. Um, it, you know, it, maybe it should have been before, but it wasn't, it was great food, great service, great atmosphere. Uh, and now it's great service, great atmosphere, what do you stand for and how you do in business? That that is uh, that is for the future, I think, as well. And and the innovation part. I mean, who would have thought we'd have a James Beard award winner like uh, Douglas Williams, who was running Manja Mondays with five pastas right. to go for a set price? Um, you know, the thought of that before never would have entered our mind. It is very relevant now. Will be going forward. So I think you. I think you're killing it. I think you're right on on that. Boy, you're in Absolutely. the position. You're in the position for a reason, Scott. <laughs> I get, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to earn that, earn that title as best I can. You know, he's going to keep working for it. Um, but you know, also just something else you reminded me of too is, um, and this is something that I've always tried to do. And I think that we'll see more of it in general going forward, but like talking about Douglas and, you know, Maja Mondays, that being a, you know, a beard worthy act, uh, evaluating folks and their work based on the bar that they are setting for themselves, as opposed to the bar that we are setting for them, is I think something that's becoming more important. You can do, you can be someone who creates an amazing, amazing 10 quart, you know, plated with tweezers tasting menu, and you can knock that out of the park and that's great. But if you are someone who does a hearty red sauce Sunday supper and you're killing that, then you are just as great a chef as as this other person. It's it's a question of what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to appeal to? What's your intention and how well are you hitting your own mark? As opposed to what we've kind of arbitrarily said, oh, that's the gold standard for chef up. No question about it. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to the lightning round, um, oh boy. a question I've really, uh, I think has to, has to be brought up and explored. And I can't even imagine the pressures you're under when the best of Boston uh, awards are coming up forward. Uh, tell <laughs> yeah. me what it's like to go through that period uh, and, and, and how you kind of survive it. And, and I, you know, cause to me, that's just, uh, I, I don't know. I, my guess is you're just getting banged every, every which way uh, around. It's, it's tough, you know? And I mean, whether you're talking about the best of Boston awards, whether you're talking about when we, you know, come out with the annual list of the the best restaurants yeah. specifically in Boston, things like that, it's it is a lot of pressure because you know that you have, um, you know, the the responsibility of representing the industry um, appropriately. You also have responsibility to readers to guide them to places where their hard-earned money, um, you know, won't go to waste. They don't send you angry tweets. Uh, that'll never stop. They're always going to send you angry tweets, but that's another story. Right. Anyway. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure on it, but I always tend to return to that yearbook analogy that I used before, mm-hmm. where at the end of the day, uh, what it means to be the best is inherently subjective. Yes, there are technical things that you can look at and you can give marks to, but there's always going to be that apples versus oranges versus bananas versus plums kind of aspect to it. So what you can do is you can go, well, who is doing something right now that gives us a reason to pay more attention to their great work than maybe we did last year? Who is doing something right now that's a little different in their neighborhood? Who's doing something? You look for those kind of, that's where the news side of my brain comes out and says, okay, well, all other things being equal, you know, who's got that something that's helping to tilt the scales in their direction? And and sometimes that might be a really minor thing. And other times it's something really big. Well, for all of those out there that are wondering, how do I get on that list? You just heard the uh, recipe. So follow it. All right. All right. Listen, I want to get now to our lightning round. Nine questions I ask every guest that I've had. Uh, since day one, our lightning round is brought to our, brought to us by our friends at Sprague Energy. Sprague Energy's been uh, doing uh, great things for all of our uh, association members for so many years in terms of energy management. Uh, we absolutely uh, embrace them uh, because they bring real savings to each and every food and beverage operation across the Commonwealth. 
And Scott, I know you're going to do business with Sprague Energy before long, right? At, at your house. <laughs> you got it. There you go. All right, you ready? Here's the lightning round. All right, I'll try. Fasten your seatbelt. Seinfeld, Modern Family, or The Office? Oh, God, that's hard. Uh, 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 I think Seinfeld. Has to be Seinfeld. God love you. Yep. Saturday morning, nothing, nothing on your schedule. What do we likely find you doing? Oh, lately I just moved and I'm across the street from a park. So going for a trail run. Exploring that park. Okay. Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? (laughs) Wrong guy. Neither. Sorry, next. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm not going to ask you your favorite restaurant because like you, you, like me, you can never have one, but what's your favorite genre restaurant? What's, what's your favorite, um, you know, uh, focus on a restaurant experience when you go out? All right. I will, I can't tell you my favorite, but I will tell you right now, it's really tickling me. I, I love Middle Eastern food. And the last dinner that I had out when I knew we were going to have uh, the shutdown was at Starma. That was the last place I hit. So it's oh. not necessarily my favorite, but it's something I really love. Cassie does a great job over there. Yeah. Uh, medium rare, medium well, or vegetarian? Medium rare. Medium rare is the answer that I always look for. <laughs> Julia, Julia Child, Ming Tsai, Rachel Ray, or Gordon Ramsay? Julia Child. Julia Child, the classic. Come on. I mean, she's Cambridge. Come on. She's Cambridge. All right, here it is. Springsteen, Madonna, The Weeknd, or Carrie Underwood? Okay, I think this is the one where you probably know where my loyalty starts. Madonna, (laughs) all the way. All the way. As I said, I knew there was one you couldn't get wrong. A fribble, (laughs) Twinkie, a Twinkie, Table Talk Pie, or Fluffernutter? All all Massachusetts institutional foods that that started and, and grew here. Oh, that's tough. I'm going to go with fluff because that brings me back to some elementary school days. We yeah. didn't want the, whatever the hot lunch was. There you go. And the final question, the team most likely to be in the next duck tour parade through the streets of Boston. <laughs> um, whatever team I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll say that. I'm starting one just so I can get a parade for myself. How about that? All right. There you go. <laughs> Scott, listen, it's been wonderful catching up with you. Like you said to me before we started, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to be on this side. It's harder to be on that side. Uh, but I appreciate you being on that side. And, and you, you, as I said, on the top of this, I, I, I thank you so much for what you've done to help uh, promote our industry through these tough waters. I appreciate that. Every side has its joys and sorrows. So, uh, we'll stick together and, and get through this. Scott, be well. You too. Take care. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks. I'm Steve Clark, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Mass Restaurant Association, and this is live with From the Hill. Frank McLaughlin, a partner at Antares Group, is our first repeat guest. We thought it was really important. It's year-end. Everyone's, everyone's thinking about that important issue of taxes and how to prepare themselves at the end of the year and getting those filings in. Frank, thank you for joining us. Steve, I appreciate it. I did not know I was the first repeat guest of the podcast. I mean, I'm incredibly honored, and I appreciate the uh, partnership with the MRA and and working together with the MRA to help the community at large to figure out what they're doing. So thank you very much for having me. Well, when we got together and we were planning out the podcast, we said, you know what's really going to bring up the numbers is a, a government affairs guy talking to an accountant about what's happening <laughs> and what's going on. So they're clearly going to send us to to new heights on this podcast. So thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely, absolutely, perfect. We've we've uh, we've seen over the last uh, over the last twenty months now that we've been gone through this pandemic is how important the relationship is for the for the operator to have their accountant and have a, a trustworthy relationship in the, within an accounting firm, uh, whether it's uh, grant applications or or credit files or amending returns and doing all this stuff. You know, I found myself more and more saying, well, you know, have you talked to your accountant about that? And so just talk about what you've seen in the industry the last 20 months with, you know, reliance from operators and and, and how things have changed for you in the world of uh, of serving the restaurant industry. Yeah, absolutely. To your your point, 20 months, right? And it's been getting all different types of programs and being able to maximize those programs over this part. You have... PPP was the original program that came out and uh, was really driven around payroll, and that changed about four times. And then you have ERC, which changed at the end of 2020 to be allowed to work in conjunction with PPP, which changed the game quite a bit. And then you had RRF come into play a little bit later on from there. And when you think about all this, and I and 
let me stop and say even Massachusetts got into the game for some grants and what you could get from a grant perspective. So there was a lot of different programs, a lot of money rolling around with different rules and concepts and how to maximize it. And I've been on the phone with all of my clients talking about how to maximize, how to cash flow management, right? And, and make sure that we're spending those dollars appropriately. Uh, if, if, if I never had to say PPP, ERC, or RRF again, I'd be super happy. But at the end of the day, um, it has been one of the most confusing times in planning your business and ensuring that you're building cash and you're setting yourself up for future uh, profitability and success, right? So yeah, I, it, it has been something that the Ontarius group had to completely shift our, our metrics and how we were working to work with all of our clients to ensure that we're maximizing all those programs. And, and, and it changed on the fly. I mean, the alphabet soup of government agencies and government grants, you know, it just, it, it was, you know, thinking back to the, to the height of the pandemic, there was, there was stuff happening every, every five days, every six days where there was something different that was happening. And, you know, I, I know we work together to get information out to, to the to the industry and, and just making it as clear as possible. So so thank you for your effort on that end and, and you know, just for your partnership, because that has truly been valuable to the MRA. Absolutely. You know, and, and when we were looking at this and now that the, the dust has essentially settled on all these programs and we don't have full visibility into how it's going to shake out in the long term. But, you know, when you look at it and, and for the for the restaurateurs and uh, community on on this on this podcast, you know PPP is still the bell of the ball, and it's the bell of the ball for one reason and one reason only: it's not taxable. <laughs> and ERC is a taxable event, and that's a big component of what I want to talk about today from a cash management perspective. And the third RRF is I kind of put it in the third bucket on most situations because we have until march of 23 to spend those dollars we have a nice little runway to ensure that we can spend those dollars correctly while erc with its new change with the build back better and infrastructure bill that uh, the Biden administration just passed limited um erc it used to be go till december 31st of 2021 now it's moved back to september 30th of 2021 so that last quarter, which in some instances, if you were still down in sales, you could go get those ERC dollars are no longer available as it's stated today. So understanding what that looks like and making sure you're appropriately utilizing those dollars is important. But cash flowing out until March of 23 to make sure you're going to use all of those RRF funds if you receive them is a is a really big component of understanding what you should use for ERC and what you shouldn't use for ERC. So let's dive into the ERC a little bit because I know we at the MRA we get a lot of calls about people that have said, "Oh, I've gone through the process, but I haven't received the money yet." And you know, not everyone uh, you know withheld uh, their their federal return in advance as a as an advance on the ERTC. And so now the question is kind of, "Hey, where are the dollars? What are you hearing in your world of of where that where are the dollars and and when can people start seeing some of the the money flowing from the government?" Yeah, that's a great question, and I wish I had uh, a better answer than I'm about to give you. But essentially, what we have seen is if you were able to file your 941 on time, right, and with the ERC on time. Now, this is really only for the first, second, and third quarter of of 2021. We're still seeing a four to five month backlog in receiving those dollars, even if you filed your return on time. If you had to go back after the fact and amend those returns, we're seeing somewhere in the vicinity of anywhere from six to 10 months to receive those dollars uh, with an amended return. So it is a wide variety and there's no way to track it. The IRS does not have a tracking me mechanism to tell you where you're at, what, when you're going to receive those, those amounts. You're just going to get a check in the mail at some point over that bit. But that creates an issue. And, and here's the issue that I wanted to talk about. The, tax, the ERC law before, you were not able to get PPP and ERC and utilize the two programs. On December 27, 2020, President Trump changed that so that you could overlap and use both programs as long as you don't utilize the same payroll dollars. Why is that important? Well, that, mean, that meant that I could go back for people in 2020 and go secure ERC funds. 
those are taxable dollars for 2020. So in 2020, you're supposed to be picking up all of that income for the dollars that you will receive in the future and then pay your taxes in April 15th of 2021 for 2020. But no one really knew what that was going to look like. And a lot of people didn't get those done. So people filed the returns and went through the process as normal. Now, the good news there is the IRS has come out and said, we're not going to penalize you for underpayment, but interest is ticking. So it is important, and this is where the cash flow projections come into play. If you kind of understand what numbers you are going to receive for 2020, getting those amounts paid for is going to stop the interest clock from occurring. But, and did I already say this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the IRS right now has a backlog of about 2.7 million Something. tax returns. <laughs> so yeah, you know, the, there's a lot on the IRS, uh, you know, these days. Uh, we, we haven't even got into, uh, you know, year one uh, filing of expenses for RRF. Uh, you right. know, the IRS certainly has a lot on its plate. Um, and so, and, and if, yeah. just to add to that complexity, you know, finding that out for 2020 with ERC, you have to amend your first quarter. You could potentially amend your all four quarters of your 2020 941s, amend your business return. So that's five different returns per each entity. That is very cumbersome. And those dollars, like I said, are going to be hard to get to. So understanding what that looks like and cash management, because there could be an opportunity where you have the money, you have the dollars, let's get it paid now, stop the interest, knowing that I'm going to get those dollars in the future. But you have to plan that out over the next two years, because the same thing happens in 2021. If you haven't received those dollars in 2021, by April of 15th of 2022, the IRS has said, you owe me that money. But I haven't received the money yet. So how can I pay for that? So really understanding that cash flow management and, and the timing of when ERC is taxable and then when it's collected is really important for all of everybody here on this call because those shifts can be drastic. You're redefining the accountant busy season. Uh, <laughs> busy season is probably 12 months out of the year now, right? Correct, correct. And it, it really is a really hard thing to put a time frame on or understanding what it's going to be. All we know is that it is taxable and we will have to make the payments at some time. And we know that the interest is ticking on those dollars. Now, the good news is interest right now is at a very low amount, but if we don't have to pay the government interest for no reason, let's not pay the government interest for no reason. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned PPP and how valuable that was, and, and two two tranches of PPP was rolled out by the government. Uh, what are you hearing on PP2, PPP two loan forgiveness? Is it is it happening? Is it slow? Are those same two point seven million IRS uh, returns that are backlogged? Uh, are those agents on on top of that? Or you know what are you seeing from your clients in terms of PPP forgiveness? Is it has it been a smooth process? It, it has, and that has started to. Uh happen from, from, from a forgiveness standpoint, um, you know, because the good news is the IRS has nothing to do with PPP. It's the SBA that's doing it. So it's a different group of people, thankfully. But uh, I think it's really important to understand, and I want everyone to kind of know this, and, and I'm, this is just the facts that I have. In the restaurant space, hospitality space, with everything that's been going on with um, the industry, other than not being able to spend the money because you were completely shut down or you were in specific different groups, like maybe a bar or nightclub or a catering company or something like that, I have not seen yet full forgiveness. So everyone is getting full forgiveness on the dollars that they put through on PPP. But we, you know, unfortunately, in some instances, we don't, we're not being able to utilize the whole amount of PPP. Now, the good news there, and there's a little bit of a, a silver lining, but unfortunately, PPP was for a lot of people. RRF was for a smaller amount of people. And you can utilize RRF dollars to pay for PPP loans. And, and just real quick, Steve, just because I want to say this, RRF is something that you will have to track year over year and send that information in to let them know what you're spending it on. I've gotten a lot of questions on, can you use those dollars to prepay debt? The answer is no, you cannot prepay debt. But as long as you have a business debt and it's on its regularly scheduled amortization, you can make those debt payments. So one of the things that we've done 
is work with our clients to change the PPP loan amount timeframe from five years down to two years, because now you can get a significantly larger portion of those PPP funds paid for by the RRF. So playing and talking with your consulting around the terms and what you can use RRF for can really benefit you to offset if you weren't able to get full forgiveness because you didn't use the dollars appropriately, you can get RRF to potentially pay for the bulk majority of that debt. So just know that that's out there from an RRF perspective. But the one question I have gotten is, can I prepay any debt? The answer is no. But when it talks about the, I can't stress enough, talk to your accountants, talk to your consultants about what's the best use of your dollars. That's a, that's a great piece of advice, and just just the just that subtle change of of, of addressing the the outstanding debt and then paying it with the RRF, you know, makes sense because the RRF, as we talked about, the time frame is so so generous, putting us out to March of twenty twenty of twenty three. Uh, have you heard it? You talked about tracking of expenses. I know the SBA put out a, an expense tracker that if you received RRF, you do have to file by the end of the year how you how you've spent those funds in in the year. Are you seeing any issues with that process, or has that been pretty smooth so far? You know, so for us right now, we haven't, um, we've just started to look through that because it's not due until year end and finalizing, but it seems to be a pretty straightforward process. The nice thing that we're seeing is you don't have to provide all the documentation with it. It's just, hey, put the amounts in, submit them. They may request that documentation to confirm or deny on a, you know, on a, on a selected basis, but it looks like if you just put in the numbers the way you want to, then that looks like it should be a pretty easy process because you don't have to uh, send the documentation in with it. And there's and there's a there's a lot of uses of the funds that are that are permitted as long as you're not buying an alpaca farm and are not out of state. You're probably going to be okay, hopefully, and you know not end up as a news story as someone who uh, had used the funds inappropriately. That's right, and, and and I think that there's again talking to your consultants because with that time frame of March of twenty three. May, again, changing terms or getting debt in a certain term frame could allow you to spend those dollars appropriately, um, not and really still kind of maybe invest in your business and what your need your needs are. So just know that there's some things around there about you know from an RRF planning perspective. And again, some people got a lot of money for RRF, and spending that by March of 23 could be complicated. Do you want to use those dollars? After PPP first, you do not want to get ERC because, again, ERC is taxable, RRF isn't. So really kind of working with your consultant again to make sure you're maximizing the cash grants and value of what government assistance is giving you. That, that's really important. And uh, I want to end with a little bit of good news. Uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, it's usually negative when we talk about the government and taxation, but some, some good news coming out of Massachusetts that, uh, you know, RRF, uh, any mass, mass growth capital grants, any forgiven PPP, those are going to be tax-free for for income purposes in Massachusetts, which that was a that was a big change, and I know a lot of people have been looking at that, and it, it's it's valuable certainly here in Massachusetts. Absolutely, and Steve, just to just to kind of finalize, and I want to make sure that I just say this from a cash planning perspective, we're rolling into 2022, and we're rolling into estimated payments for 2022, and now estimated payments are based off of either 2021 or an estimate of 2022. 2021 for most people because of ERC is going to be higher. They're going to have bigger incomes. You do not want to pay the government more than you have to. But at the same time, we have potential tax increases. You have, um, and, and you need to understand where you're staying. So you may need to be conservative in your first and second quarter payments to make sure that you're your underpayment penalties and interest don't start accruing on January 1. So just realize a safe play here is to not take all of ERC into consideration for your estimates for 2022, but jacking up your income a little bit or, or, or 10 or 15% to make sure you're covering yourself for your estimated payments throughout all of 22 so that you don't get yourself in any trouble with penalties and interest on estimated payments for 2022. That's Frank McLaughlin. Uh, perfect advice. Always take the time to talk to your accountant. Always listen to them. Uh, they're, they're thinking about this on a day-to-day -day basis, and we encourage everyone to uh, to do this and make sure that they are staying between the lines and, and maximizing their, their income potential and not paying the government too much. Frank, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Steve, and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you. You as well. Two-time champion Frank McLaughlin for Together We Win. <laughs> talk to you soon. Bye. See ya. Bye.
This is Kerry Miller, the Vice President of Operations for the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, and this is What's Next. This is Kerry Miller, and this is What's Next. My guest today on What's Next is Derek Canton, the CEO and founder of PayorPay. It's a contactless payment platform for restaurants. Uh, I've had the opportunity to know Derek for, for, I don't know, four years now. Uh, and right when he actually started the platform, Worcester State grad, uh, he's got a great story to tell. And uh, hey, Derek, welcome to the program. Kerry, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. You know, um, kind of interesting that you started this pre-pandemic and it was kind of built, you know, I want to get into it a little bit, but it's kind of built for the pandemic, right? Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I mean, we, I mean, Carrie, you're like a day one for us when we first started. I mean, you, you came out, got to see the, the product in the very, very early days. It definitely has grown and evolved a lot. Uh, we're definitely fortunate to be one of those businesses that just happened to have the right product for the right time. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we, you know, we adjusted our technology a little bit, but we were really in a great spot to support restaurants who've been impacted by uh, COVID. So uh, listen, I know there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there. As a matter of fact, we've had a couple on, on the podcast uh, of late that are up and started into this tech space. And so for the benefit of those that are that are either just getting their toe in the water or got some things going, give me a little bit about the background, because I know there's an interesting story behind how you get started on this thing. Yeah, so growing up, I've always worked in restaurants. The first restaurant I used to actually work at was Bertucci's um, in the Salmon Pond Mall. So that's where I kind of cut my teeth initially and just really fell in love with the space. Uh, being a techie, spent years working at companies like you know Dell EMC and others as well, too. So I had this really unique intersection of technology, but also restaurant experience. And uh, you know, about I think it was 2017, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Las Vegas and compete in which was then the the world's largest financial technology hackathon called Money 2020. And for those of you that don't know what a hackathon is, you essentially build an app in, in 24 hours. And so at the hackathon, I ended up building the the very first iterations of, of PairPay at the time, which looked a little bit different. Um, but we ended up winning, we came in first place with first data and second place overall, had a really incredible experience. Kelly, I got zero sleep. Uh, I was in Vegas and had a lot of fun, but we learned a heck of a lot. Yeah. I think, and, the, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, we came back and, and we're just, we're just ready to go. Yeah. I, and I think the backdrop, this thing is you guys kind of learned about it late in the game, hopped on an airplane with no rooms, not a heck of a lot of money in your pocket and just went out there and, and jammed and got it done. Right. Yeah, literally. And I think we, I probably told you the, the, the whole, whole story over drinks, but essentially I literally showed up without a ticket and I convinced them to let me to compete. And, and I just had this conviction that I had to be there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, you know, since this is your podcast, Carrie, we'll air it all out. I was actually dating a, a, a woman at the time and she told me not to go because it was her birthday weekend. So I was like, look, I really got to be here. Uh, needless to say, she's now my ex-girlfriend, but you know, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you had to flip a coin and pick which one you want to go, I'm sure she was a nice gal, but it sounded like it worked out in the right, the right way for you. All right. Exactly. <laughs> so for those that don't know about the platform and, and there's a lot of stuff going on and out in that space, you and I know that, right? This is the contactless payment stuff. Talk, tell, tell the people out there how pay or play platform works and, and, why well, it's kind of different from the other, other folks across the street. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I'll do is I'll really start talking about the problem specifically. Um, so one of the experiences I had was, you know, right when the, the pandemic had hit, um, I was ordering food from a restaurant and they required me to give my credit card number over the phone and my CBC number. And because I know that 40% of credit card fraud happens over the phone, I, I felt really uncomfortable doing so. And I, and I kind of asked myself, like, you know, we live in a world where there's Apple Pay and there's Google Pay and there's Toast and there's other places out there in the industry. Why we're still doing things like giving credit card information over the phone. And what I quickly became to understand is that when you look at like players like Toast in the industry, they only make up about 10% of the market. Uh, the, the Really, the majority of the market is made up by legacy POS systems like Micros, Aloha, and Polytouch um, that's being used by a lot of operators. And if you're a restaurant operator using one of these legacy systems and you want to adopt some type of contactless payments, whether it's a QR code payment or text message payment or, or digital menu system that directly integrates with your current system, oftentimes you actually would need to break your contract with your credit card processor or your POS system 
And then it becomes this long, expensive process of adding hardware and downloading apps. And it can become a really expensive and cumbersome process that can end up taking months. And that's exactly why that restaurant was requiring me to give the credit card information over the phone. And the sad thing is a lot of operators don't understand is that when you're taking credit card information over the phone, uh, one is there's, you know, card not present fees, uh, have higher rates, and you also are putting yourself, you know, um, at risk for credit card fraud and other things as, as well, too. And so, you know, I, I looked at my team members and said, look, like, we have technology that can actually help operators. And so we ended up launching with our platform initially was the ability for operators to no longer take credit card information by enabling guests to make a payment via text message. So what this looks like is if you're ordering food from, let's say, your, 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 what's your favorite, your favorite pizza place, uh, you know, locally carry? Well, it'll be Bertucci's. But there we go. Perfect. So, so let's say you're ordering food from Bertucci's. So once you place your order with them, they take your phone number down for your order like normal. And essentially what they're doing is putting your phone number directly into their existing Micros POS system. And once they do that, our technology will recognize there's a phone number there. We'll send you a text message, and then you can securely make a payment on your phone with Apple Pay, Google Pay, credit card, or any other type of payment. And then it securely goes directly back to the POS system for the payment to go through. And part of the magic is, is you don't have to download any apps. You don't have to set up anything. And there's no new hardware required for the restaurant operator. So now these operators have a complete contactless payment solution that allows them to securely and safely take payments. We've seen some really cool things like faster table turns and higher check averages. And there's a lot of cool analytics around as well, too. And there's some other cool features. And now we have an entire suite of experiences that are supporting operators nationwide who want to provide the best contactless experience for their customers. Yeah, and and Derek, you know, as a consumer, that that's where it lies. I mean, nobody. Every time you want to go out and do it, uh, a, and everybody's doing it, right? Uh, we're up to like thirty plus percent off-premise sales in restaurants. Uh, but every time you have to do that, if you have to insert your credit card information or give somebody a credit card information or or do it online, I, I mean, it's just a cumbersome act. And I think you guys just take that extra step uh, out, and it makes it so easy to order. If I'm if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the whole process is, is, is simplified. And I think another important thing to, to notice, and even something that is, is really plaguing of multiple industries is, is, is labor shortages. So now you're talking about how do you, how do you operate your restaurant at 100% capacity with, you know, so let's say 60% of the staff. And so now operators are looking for ways to improve efficiency, getting people in through their experience, simplifying the process. You know, we're, we're working with this one um, operator right now who has, has a drive-through experience, and they're looking at getting their customers in and out quicker. I mean, drive-through time is, is critical. Seconds really matter. And so now because they have less staff and, you know, hardware is expensive, we became a perfect solution for them. And so there's a lot of different types of restaurants from full-service sit-down restaurants to quick service and drive-throughs and others that we're supporting with their platform. So is it, are people using it in, turn, in, in the restaurant too as an option to get out of the restaurant quickly? Yes. So in the restaurant, we're seeing people using things like QR code payments. So we can put QR codes on the menu or we can put them on the receipt. We can put them directly at the table. We have some people that are just using the text to pay directly in the restaurant as well too. There's a, there's a variety of experience we've seen. We've seen some, some really creative experiences that people have used. A lot of people are also using uh, uh, contact uh, tr uh, tracing or contact tracking for um, you know safety reasons as well too, right? Yep. So some operators will you, you show up, they uh, take your cell phone number, you know, and they, they they make a note of that, and so when it's time for you to pay, you just get a text message as well too. So it's been really cool to see the creativity of these operators, and I think that's one of the things that's really unique about the restaurant, and the hospitality industry overall is the operators here are, are creative, they're unique, and they find, find ways to make it work. And we're just here to align with their creativity and support them. Yeah, I, 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 I give you credit. I think you guys, and, and I think I had a conversation with you like two weeks after the pandemic hit and you were on an airplane out down to Atlanta to talk to some fo some folks and, and you pivoted and I said the word, I'm sorry. And and, <laughs> and you adapted and and, and you, you made it. So uh, so I'm going to, I want to talk a little bit about what's the future of PayPay. I know you guys have like embedded yourself into the contactless payment piece. I know you've got menus uh, that are, are are available on your platform. Are you going to go into the uh, one dine uh, area of the world where you actually the consumer actually uses that to order from the table and pay right from the table? 
Yeah, that's a really great question, Kerry. So one of the things for us is, is we actually think that the, the ordering space is pretty crowded. I mean, we sell a lot of the operators currently have options for ordering. For us, where we see kind of our silver bullet is really providing the best overall contactless experiences when you talk about that customer guest experience around payments. And so there's a few things that are we're currently working with, but also on a roadmap. Uh, but one of the things that I'll, I'll kind of share with you a little bit is we have a really interesting data perspective when it comes to, to our platform. Um, because people don't actually have to download an app or set anything up, we've seen some really, really great adoption with our platform, especially when it comes to things like, like text messages. Um, one of the things that we've noticed is that with our transactions, almost 50% of all of our transactions result in people actually engaging with us. And that looks like people actually texting us back from their phones, uh, leaving comments, you know, leaving Yelp reviews that we, people can actually leave a, a Yelp review right to our platform if it's a positive review. So because we're seeing such high adoption from an engagement perspective, a lot of operators have been asking, how do we build deeper relationships with our customers more long-term? And that's where we see a unique opportunity for us to be positioned. So that's a little bit of a tease. We, we have some other stuff on the horizon that we're, we're pretty excited about. But for us, we're really focusing on the payment sector because, and really, you know, really maximizing that, that guest experience because if a restaurant operator can provide the best experience for the customers, that customer will come back again and again and again. And we're just here to power that for these operators. Uh, listen, we're creatures of habit. And, and over the course of the last two years, I don't care if you're ex to boomer, you, you, you're working off your phone, right? And the more convenient you can make the experience, that's the direction that people are going to head. And I think that you guys got a good foothold on that space, Derek, which is awesome. Um, all right. So uh, uh, this is a great uh, success story for a local guy. I, and um, Derek, uh, Worcester State grad, uh, worked hard. Uh, cut his teeth uh, in the restaurant industry and work for the EMCs of the world and and, le and, and learned it there. Uh, what's next for Pay or Pay? Uh, I know that you got to do the you got the uh, customer service related stuff, but what's on the horizon other than that for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things we're excited about is to continue supporting our current customers, but also some some larger enterprise customers as well too that we're, we're working with. We have a couple of big announcements coming up uh, next year, so you're gonna have to stay tuned for some of the stuff that's coming down the pipeline, but. Uh, it's, we're excited about our platform, right? We're able to service all different types of merchants from, from restaurants to hotels and others as well too. And, you know, I think one of the things that we want to continue to be really uh, hypersensitive to is just how we can support our customers in the best way possible. So that's one of the things that we're really excited about is continuing to go beyond restaurants and provide the best experience, but also focusing with and supporting the customers we have um, at a larger scale. And we got some excited things that are ready in the pipeline that are brewing there. So you got to stay tuned until next year so you can hear some of these uh, announcements that are coming. So uh, I know you used to be a, an, an accessible local guy and you're not anymore. Uh, you're on an airplane all the time. You're flying back and forth. I think you got a uh, uh, left coast uh, relationship going on. So you're back and forth to that. Um, so if somebody wants, and, and I think people kind of dial into this, figure out to the point, what's next? I mean, what's on the cutting edge? The folks that haven't uh, identified you as a potential uh, benefit, how, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best methodology to get pay or pay? Uh, conversation started with you and pay or pay, Derek. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, Kerry. So my personal email is Derek at PairPay.com. That's P-A-E-R-P-A-Y.com. You can also reach out to hello at PairPay.com as well, too. That goes directly to our entire team also. So they can reach us there as well. Um, I mean, I'm excited for the stuff that we're cooking. I mean, if anyone's listening in and wants to learn more about our, our roadmap and some of the things that we're working on here to really help operators that want to provide the best experience for the customers while still dealing with staff shortages and getting customers in and out of the restaurant safely, quickly, improve operational efficiencies. You know, we, we have some really cool numbers about the return on investment for our platform. And also, we can get an operator live within about an hour and a half. It's a really quick installation and onboarding process. So if that's you as an operator, please feel free to reach out to be able to learn more. Um, one of the things I actually would be happy to extend that to your listeners, Carrie, that if you send me an email or hello at parapay.com, you say that you heard from this from the from the podcast with Carrie. We're happy to give you a, your first month for free with our platform as well, too. And that's specific for your for your guys. So want to be able to extend it to you guys and looking forward to hearing from, from those that are listening in. You know what? So this is the benefit of listening, right? I mean, you get the free months, the first months for free. So, hey, I wish you an incredible holiday. I mean, it's uh, 
it's been a tough year, uh, and everybody's been running again. And I know, it's especially that Derek, you've been working your tail off, and uh, I'll hopefully get an opportunity to take a breath uh, around the holidays and uh, get some time with family and some uh, great uh, beverages and food. So, uh, and hats off to a local guy making it good. Thanks, Terry. Well, I'll tell you, this this is just the beginning, so I'm looking forward to coming back maybe this time next year and giving everybody an update. But I'll tell you, we learned a lot this year, and. And the number one thing is that really stay close to your friends and family because nothing in life is ever guaranteed. And really just appreciative of the time, your friendship, Kerry, and others as well, too. So really appreciate you having me on here and looking forward to coming back for an update. All the best, Derek. Talk soon. You've been listening to Together We Win, the Massachusetts Restaurant Association podcast. Produced by the Massachusetts Restaurant Association in partnership with Image Unlimited Communications and Red 13 Studios. For more information on the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, please visit themassrest.org. Thank you. You've been listening to Together We Win, the MRA podcast. For any information on this podcast or any other episode, visit us at our website, themassrest.org.